Welcome to Central Line, the AHA podcast. This is the official podcast of the American Animal Hospital Association, dedicated to simplifying the journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine for every member of the veterinary team. Here's your host, Dr. Katie Berlin. Hi, welcome back to Central Line. I'm Dr. Katie Berlin, and my guest today is somebody who I actually have been following for a long time, um, but we've only really met, um, and I say face-to-face, meaning like virtual screen to virtual screen <laughs> a couple of times. So I feel really lucky to have this chance to talk to her today. Uh, Dr. Stacy Santi, welcome to Central Line. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. So... Um, we before we get started, it would be nice. Maybe I know a lot of people are probably familiar with you and um, what you've been up to. But uh, just in case for people who don't know you, would you mind giving us a little bit of background on yourself and what you're doing? Oh yeah, for sure. So I am a veterinarian by trade, and my primary job has been practicing veterinary medicine, small animal veterinary medicine in Colorado. I'm a CSU model '96, and so I. I've been like dedicating my whole life to animals. I want to be a vet since I was six, I think. I always say I made the official announcement when I was six that I was going to be a veterinarian because I loved animals. And my little brother made a concurrent announcement the same day that he was going to work at Burger King because he loved Whoppers. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, did both of those dreams come true? No, his (laughs) dreams did not come true, unfortunately. (laughs) I I just love animals. I'm a stickler for an excellent client experience. I really find the whole dynamics of having a great relationship with your client extremely rewarding. And so my journey is weird because I ended up being very frustrated with what I would consider the very lame tools that veterinarians have to communicate with their clients in practice. And it was around 2010, I really... I was really striving to help people give their monthly heartworm prevention. And all I had was these dumb stickers in a box to give to people to put on their calendar. And I really wanted to be able to send a push notification to people on their phone. Cause I noticed that when my phone would be sitting there, I would suddenly be craving a double pepperoni pizza from Domino's because I get a push notification. <laughs> and I thought, I want to be able to do that for my clients with their heartworm medicine. How cool would that be? Like, that isn't even a huge dream. But at that moment, it was impossible for veterinarians to send a message every month to their clients reminding them to give their medicine to their pet. So I I figured somebody was building apps for vets, but turns out there wasn't anybody. So I ended up finding an engineer in California and built this really basic little app for my practice in Colorado. And my clients could only do a couple things. They could request an appointment, they could request a refill, and I could send them a push notification every month. And I I just loved it. It gave me a whole nother capability to provide education to my audience. Um, Another thing that happens in Colorado, uh, since you're moving there, is we have the bubonic plague in the southwest (laughs) part of Colorado. A dubious honor. (laughs) It is. In Africa. And and about every three to four years, all the prairie dogs die and the plague comes out. Uh, And 
it's really important for us as veterinarians to remind pet owners to give their flea prevention. And so it just gave me a place to do these sorts of things, pet food recalls, anything I would want to tell my mom about her pet, I could tell all of my clients by having my own little communication platform. So I don't know. I just started adding things to it. And I have a lot of friends in vet med and they'd say, can you build that for me? I'm like, I guess so. So on nights and weekends, I'd build like one app a month for a friend and then turned into like two a month and then five a month. And then I ended up quitting my job in 2016 and officially going all in with my little idea, vet to pet. Yeah, that little idea really took off. And now there are so many apps available, but that really was, that was like people who were podcasting like in 2013. Like it just yeah. was, it was ahead of its time for sure. And I, I just love that you were just like, oh, I'm sure somebody's making this thing, but they weren't. So you did. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm a vet. I figure, you know, I can splint a broken leg with um, tongue depressors if I need to. Like I can right? figure out a way to make it happen. <laughs> Right? I mean, so um, people who are listening and not watching can't see, but um, Dr. Santee is wearing a shirt that says, just do it. And that's what you did. You just <laughs> did it. <laughs> and I that's know. fantastic. I, like, I, we I didn't mean to. So. <laughs> no, <laughs> but it's a perfect, it's a perfect shirt for you. Because I do get the sense that whether it's an app or something else in life, it's like, if you want to make it happen, you're going to do what you can to, to get it done. Um, and I, I wanted to ask you because I feel like this is something that I don't, you've probably been asked a million times, but are you like tech everything? Like, do you, cause I, I'm addicted to, you know, paper planners. Like I love checking things off on a to-do list, like with a pen. And yeah. it's very difficult to get me out of that mindset. Do you have digital everything or do you still have like holdovers from the analog age? Yeah, no, you know, I'm, I think I, I'm classic in that people in our profession, we love pens and mm -hmm. we love paper. So I currently have like a whole bunch of little cat <laughs> pens and I am paper all day long. Nice. I've tried to t turn paper note taking into digital and it's just really hard for me. So yeah, I, that's one thing that I just can't give up. I know. So it's funny that we talk about this because this week I just got this, it's called a Onyx books note air Two, and it's Ooh. like a remarkable but no subscription required because you need a subscription for remarkable now so it's like a tablet that you can write on and it feels very much like writing on paper so i'm trying it out because i have like stacks of paper that i can't bring myself to get rid of because i might need those notes and it's really getting out of hand like i take a lot of notes now so um i'll get back to you on how that is and whether i've given it up in you know 20 minutes because i just can't do it but it's pretty cool right now <laughs> so That's awesome. i'm such an old veterinarian back old school that i have a permanent in indention in my finger and my nail is misshapen from writing so many soaps <laughs> on the chart for so many years. Wow. Maybe that's why it's burned in my brain. I just can't let some things go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you might lose the dent in your finger if you stop using a pen. So very, very funny. Um, I'm glad to hear that because it makes me feel less backwards for being so paper dependent <laughs> still. But um, okay, so but we are here today to talk about technology because um, and the subject of today's conversation is actually your idea. You said, why don't we talk about our bond with our clients? And I thought that was really interesting because I think a lot of people, 
at least I know I have thought this way in the past, kind of feel like technology sometimes means having less contact, less direct contact anyway with the client. Like I don't want to make a hair appointment on the phone. I want to do it on an app or on their website. So, um, so I just was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. Like, do you think that the rise of technology means less connection? Actually, I think it's the opposite. Well, it's it's a little bit of a classic it depends question yeah. or answer, I guess. So the first thing that we have been blinded by as a profession is the actual bonding rate that we have with our clients. We're operating really off a gut feeling in this department where yeah. we think all of our clients, or we think we know which ones are the best ones, and we think we know who would never leave us and who's loyal and who the top 20% is. And chances are you have a pretty good pulse on who it is. But what what we haven't been able to really hone in on until recently is actually looking at the data to see how bonded are clients. And would it surprise you if I told you that about you know, 37% of clients that you see today will not come back and see you and spend even $1 at your practice in the next two years. Wow. That's a, that seems like a lot. That right? is surprising. Yeah. That's a lot. I nearly died when I saw this metric because we were running these stats and trying to understand, you know, we were actually evaluating how's the bonding going in our loyalty program. And we said, well, before we know that, we need to know how the bonding is before we start a loyalty program. And it turns out it's quite terrible. And I think we just don't have a good grasp on how bonded or unbonded our clients are. We're very busy, but part of the problem of being exhausted is having to go on a bunch of first dates all the time. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think about being in the exam room and seeing, you know, say you see 12 clients and over a third of them are not going to come back like that. You think of all the energy you pour into those appointments and you're like, wait, where are they going? Like, why? What did I do? <laughs> yeah, you don't even know. You're yeah. just working because you're a machine and you just, they keep coming in and you keep trying to do your best and you're always tired. I mean, that's one of the reasons because mm -hmm. Part of being a happy, fulfilled, successful veterinarian is having a clientele that you've got trust with and that yeah. they know you, you know them, you're on the same page, you're like a good match like peas and carrots. They're a delight to work with because they aren't going to question you. They aren't right. going to, you know, try to have you, you know, do weird things. You've already, you're, you're, you've searched for people and you found identified people people that you're similar to. They like you, you like them. It's a magical place to be a veterinarian when that happens. But if you're constantly just going on first dates, it's really hard to get to that level. It's more exhausting. So I think, you know, as far as like how, how come that's happened, I think a couple of reasons is we are heavily dependent on that once a year or twice a year visit being so powerful and so strong that it holds you over till the next time we see you and you don't stray away or go somewhere else. But where technology fills the gap is in the middle. Mm. It's not, I'm not suggesting that technology and bots should check you in at your at wellness exam and give you your print out your rule outs. No, I think that's the time to shine with your person in person relationship skills. 
but it's the in-between where you can still have a relationship with your client, a communication engagement strategy that's in technology that kind of tied you over till the next time they come in. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I also, I, I just realized that my dog is snoring behind me. Um, people who have listened to this podcast before have probably heard this sound, but it sounds like someone is opening and closing a drawer, like a creaky drawer behind me over and over again, but it's actually my chihuahua snoring. So um, I was going to mute the mic and then I was like, you know what? It's already there. Like, so you're, you're just going to hear it anyway. Sorry, everyone listening. You get to listen to Frank having a really good nap. Um, <laughs> but I, I totally agree with you. And I feel like, you know, we, if anything, COVID has shown that to us, right? Because, I mean, I have friendships that I didn't even have two years ago that have happened o- online since COVID started. I haven't even met these people in person in some cases, but I feel so connected just because you can send a text when you don't have time to call. And so I might have a texting relationship with a friend that where an older friend, we're used to calling each other and we, we don't have as much time to do that. Or we're used to visiting and getting coffee and we couldn't do that for a long time. So frequency and accessibility of touch points seems like a definitely a way to increase that connection. Um, do you feel like vets and vet professionals in general seem to be a little bit resistant to the idea of introducing technology, or is that a thing of the past? Well, that has always bothered me when I hear a lot of people, mostly it's outside people, say vets are resistant to technology. Well, let's be honest. Vets are resistant, like everyone else, to bad technology. Yeah. (laughs) And the truth is we haven't had great tools available to us. Even the practice management software scene is a nightmare. Like a lot of this stuff's really old. Uh, a lot of stuff doesn't talk to the other stuff. You know, you to take an act of magical wonders to get your practice software to talk to your x-ray machine, to talk to your laboratory mach- services. Like it's just hard. So I think when we say vets are resistant to, te- to technology, it's a cop out for people in the building bad technology because we aren't resistant to change. Vets are the most, I know as a veterinarian, my life changed every five minutes at the practice. I'd be doing a dog spay and suddenly I'm repairing an artery or some, suddenly an emergency comes in. I have to think about something else while I'm doing, I've got to pivot constantly. I might Mm -hmm. be coming into the exam room to talk to you about your wellness exam on your golden retriever and I've got the vaccines ready and the heartworm spill loaded and I realize you have an abdominal tumor and I've got to have the talk of life with you now so yeah we change so I always find that comment I don't know it rubs me the wrong way because I think if veterinarians have tools that work for them like aren't dumb of course we're going to use them if they solve problems if they're a painkiller to a pain we have absolutely veterinarians will use them. Yeah, that uh, I like that a lot because I don't like being grouped into a whole sort of generalization like that either. And I think change is hard for everybody. So if you feel like the activation energy to adopting something new is really high and it's going to be really hard to make that change, then of course that's going to be hard for everyone because vets and vet teams are really busy. Like, you know, but so many of these solutions can make that better and make life easier, right? Well, that's part of the problem too, if you think about it, is 
finding the time to get your head up above the forest so you mm-hmm. can see if there are other choices for you out here. So a few years ago, my husband was welding a fence at our house in Colorado. We live kind of out on, in the country. And he started a brush fire out here with his welding. No. Right next to our brand new house. Like I wasn't home, so I didn't get to witness this. I'm glad. But he was telling me later, like this thing started really growing. Like the neighbors were starting to come out and he was shoveling as fast as he could to put the fire out. And he said at some point he had to decide, do I keep shoveling or do I put the shovel down and run for the skid steer? and get, let the fire go and go get the big machine and come over. What should I, he's like, I was really torn. He goes, I decided to drop the shovel. The fire got three times as big while he went and got his machine. But then he came out, came over and put it out immediately. He's like, if I had kept shoveling, I think I would have lost the battle. And it reminds me of how veterinarians are right now. Like, you're so busy. You think to yourself, I just have to see all these cases. I just have to keep doing what I do every single day. Instead of saying, whoa, I'm going to have to carve some space for myself so I can evaluate my operational systems. I can evaluate my processes. I can evaluate what technology I'm using and try to get better equipped for like the next decade. You're going to have to stop at some point and take inventory and do a little work on the business instead of constantly being in the business. It's hard to believe, but it's that time of year already. Registration for Connexity 2022 is open. AHA's annual conference will be in Nashville, Tennessee this year from September 14th through 17th, and you do not want to miss it. From workshops to games to unforgettable speakers, we're planning something for everyone on your team. So bring them all and join us for an event that will leave you energized and inspired. Learn more and register at aha.org slash connexity. Let's create a better world together. Yeah, that's such a tough thing to do. And, you know, there's no reason why your team can't help with that, right? Like, you know, if you're thinking about trying something new, it really helps, I think, to to have the team involved in thinking of solutions and in adopting new things, because it's very difficult as a team member too to just have this word come down from above that like, this is what we're doing now and we all have to learn this new thing. But if everybody's invested in it and in saying, okay, right now this is going to be tough, like, you know, we're switching PIMs or whatever, and and but down the road, it's going to do this many new things for us to free us up so that we can actually get out of work on time more often, or so that we can fit in one more, you know, appointment per day without it taxing the team or something like that. Um, and I definitely believe in that because as a lifelong team member versus a team leader, <laughs> um, it definitely uh, helps, I think, to feel like you have a personal investment in the change too. Oh, for sure. I mean, if you just look at the simple problem right now that most clinics are facing, which is uh, the phone ringing off the hook. You yeah. can't, the phone is out of control. If, if you can think about, all right, can I go and add texting or two-way messaging to my practice? At first it sounds scary and you think to yourself, oh no, I can't take on more work. But as soon as you start to wrap your head around the fact that, hey, I'm not asking my team to do more work. I'm asking them to do work differently. 
which means these same people are going that are calling you, we can divert some of them over into messaging you, which means you can do three conversations to every one phone call. That's going to make you go faster and be more efficient. So I think where people, do, you know, leaders get mixed up is not having those conversations with their team and exploring why. Why do we want to do this? It's not like, oh, look, I bought you this new texting thing. We're now going to start texting with clients. And everyone's like, oh, my God, I can't. You know, yeah. we need to not do it that way. We need to say, listen, I've done the math. And if we can cut down one third of our phone calls and go over here and even have a remote employee help us, this is going to make our life better. And I think if everyone can see the why, they're more inclined to accept the change. Yeah, so true. Uh, so what about, and I don't know if this happens as much recently, honestly, as it used to, but I remember like working for a bigger practice where they went to having a phone room for, you know, and a front desk so that the people who are on the phone weren't trying to help people at the front desk, which was cool. Um, but you know, there's still, there's so many phone calls and there was a, you know, a voicemail tree that you went through. And if it wasn't an emergency, a lot of times you might end up leaving a voicemail or whatever. And we had a lot of clients say, you know, vet care has just gotten so impersonal now. Like I miss the days when you just walk in and there'd be two people at the front desk and you knew them and everybody would just talk to each other. And they wanted that family feel back, which I know is still possible at some practices, but there's just so many pets to help. And at a bigger practice, maybe that's not realistic. So how do we keep those people happy who want that family feel, face-to-face -face interaction and the people who like who like me don't want to talk to anyone on the phone and want to schedule everything online and then just show up. <laughs> I think if you explore like what people mean when they want the family feel, they want to be not just some number that nobody knows. They want you to recognize them or to at least know their name. It's quite easy actually if you practice, take a few minutes to like Think about what you're doing here as your role as a receptionist or a doctor or a technician. But if you're on the front lines with customers, you have to do a few tricks to help you keep the relationship alive. I don't care who you are. I, I hate going to businesses where I'm just, you know, you go shopping at a store, you walk in, you browse, you leave. Nobody even says hi or bye to you. I hate yeah. that. Yeah. As a vet, we have, like, it's pretty easy. We've got some tricks up our sleeve. You're coming in with a dog or a cat that w was probably different than the other dogs or cats coming in around your appointment time. So if you're walking in with a Frenchie, I got a hot chance of knowing who you are. <laughs> so it's like being a little prepared about who's coming in on your schedule. And also shoring up your systems. If you need to hire somebody to be a greeter and a welcomer to make people feel special, why not? This is a high school job. This is a young person. Like you can get a entry level position on this. This could be a number of people you could hire to be the greeter and help cheat a little, you know, to pass notes to the doctor. This is so-and-so. You saw him last year. They kid went to Disneyland, you know, whatever you got to do, make notes and use it in conversation. And by all means, don't do stuff like, who are you? <laughs> you know, you know it's like certain things you don't say as I'm sure same for you. I run into people I know that I've worked on their animal and I forgot who they are. Oh yeah. I mean, I kind of know who the animal is, but I cannot remember their name. I can't remember the details. 
and they'll be like, Dr. Stacy. I'm like, oh my God, it's so great to see you. <laughs> and then I ask sort of questions. How are that? How's the family? Like, that's an easy one, right? Because it could be kids. It could be dogs. Right. <laughs> I try to get like some clues to get me. If I don't know who they are, they never probably know I don't know who they are. Yeah. So uh, there's some of that. People just want you to smile. They want you to feel special. They don't have to have this red carpet experience, but what they don't want is to just be treated like they don't matter. Yeah. And in a way, having more ways for them to reach you or to be in contact with you, like two-way texting, so they don't have to sit on a, on hold forever or leave a message is actually feels more personal, like you were saying, um, because it, it's more like, oh, I have a direct line to them, even if it's asynchronous. It's not exactly that moment that you get a reply. Um, I totally love that, too, that you said that, that like, you know, a client care representative who's working at the front desk, like, you know, this is a theme that comes up over and over again is how do you change processes in your hospital if you're not in a position of leadership, if you're not somebody who has the power to institute sort of hospital-wide change, but anybody can start taking notes or putting little alerts on the account, you know, new baby born mm -hmm. such and such time. You know, I remember doing that with one client. I just made a note when they had their first baby and they kept coming to me after I switched to a hospital that was 30 minutes away, you know, 35 minutes away from them um, because they just thought that I cared. And I did, you know, I wanted to remember that they had a baby and that his name was Samuel, you know, um, I still remember that. These are tricks. And if yeah. you're in the client service industry, which you are, you have to adopt some of these. So people feel special. Like another hack, another trick is if I flat out don't know you, I'm, let's say I'm a new receptionist. I, I don't know anybody I'm trying to fit in. I mean, you can certainly go up to somebody you never met before and say, I haven't met you before, but my name is Stacy, and I'm going to be taking care of you today. And so along the way, if there's anything you need, I'm your girl. Now, my job is to get you checked in, and I'm going to get you with your doctor. And and that's one time I do that. And then the next time, I'm now their friend. Yeah. So it's just some, I think where we need to train is like on some basic people skills. And yeah. not doing these things is... You can blame technology. People will probably blame technology as this place has changed. This place is not the way it used to be. You're too big for your britches now. I've paid for the wing of this practice, <laughs> like all of that. I've been there because I grew my practice from small to big. But it's all about getting the people on the front lines to like do some of these relationship building things that make people feel good. And they make you feel good too when you do them. Yeah, like nice. just to see the client smile and be like, yeah, you know, he's doing great. My son's doing great. Thanks for asking. That that makes the interaction so much better for us too. But it's so easy to not do it when we get busy. And we're all really busy right now. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so I, I was just wondering, you know, I feel like there are a lot of people who um, are going to be surprised by the number that you mentioned about you know, the client bonding number. And they might feel like even if they're not doing these exact things, like they have a good rapport with their clients and maybe, um, you know, are feeling a little frustrated listening to that and saying, okay, you know, 
I may not be asking them about their kids by name, but I thought we had a good relationship in that exam room. Why do you think it is that we have trouble keeping clients bonded to us? You know, apart from not doing those extra steps that you're talking about, which they're great. But even just in a, if an appointment goes well, like why do you think clients don't come back? Well, I think if you look at what primarily drives loyalty to uh, from a pet owner to a veterinary practice, it's going to be some basic things like location. Like that's one. We can't really change that. Accessibility, that's one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't get in. I've been your client for 10 years and I can't get in for three weeks. That starts to um, affect the feeling. I, I have a question. I want to talk to you in between the visit. That's another one. Uh, personalized care, knowing that you matter. That's another one. Uh, the way that the doctor talks to the client so that we're not over talking to them or under talking to them. So making sure that what we're saying is landing. That's another one. Um, the more, I'll just say it's, it's not about the price actually, but, but the more expensive you are, the better you have to be on some of this fluff stuff. And if you don't want to be, or you can't be, then you're probably going to be decreasing your price or else people are going to start saying you're too expensive. People generally say you're too expensive when they aren't getting the value that they want. It it also could be you're just a flat-out mismatch. If you're giving Mm. this great Ritz-Carlton experience and you've attracted somebody that is more of a tractor supply person, that happens too. So recognizing, you know, when you're not resonating with a client and it might be good to just own that. I remember one guy came into my exam room one time and his dog had like grade 22 dental disease and he was there just for the rabies shot every three years. And I, I'm like, well, your dog needs horribly, like needs a a dental so bad. It's so horrible. And he's like, no, I only want the rabies shot. And I just told him, I'm not your girl. Like I, I respect your viewpoints, but we, we aren't a match. Like I, I can't, I'll give you the rabies shot, but let me give you some references to some other practices. And that might sound like, ooh, I can't believe you did that. But it's good. It's only going to frustrate him if I keep recommending a dental every time and making him feel bad. And he has zero intention of ever doing it. Like, Right. And that's a spot... It's a spot that somebody else could have to see you who does want your recommendations and who is going to want to do those things that you find on the exam, whereas he, you know, he could never do it. And I think we've all had that client for sure. And I, I remember having a very similar interaction my very first year in practice. Um, and, you know, I was brand new at this and the client went out to the front and complained to the front desk that I had been too pushy because he'd been coming here forever and he just wanted the rabies shot. It was exactly the same thing. You know, I found a heart murmur or dental disease or something and I was just trying to take his money. And I remember my boss saying, you know, rabies only clients aren't really ones that we feel that bad about losing. And that made me feel so much better because we didn't have that many clients. It was 2009, you know, it was, there was, the economy was really bad and, uh, and, that's a, that was a good lesson to learn so early. Um, it wasn't that we wanted him to go away and not take care of his pet, but if that exam doesn't result in any better care for the pet, then it's not necessarily something to sink all of your energy into. 
Well, and the opposite is true as well. I don't know if mm-hmm. you recall, but years ago, like Humane Society started offering spay-neuter, full-service dentals to mm-hmm. the general public and communities. It certainly happened in Durango. And there was a huge like panic that, oh my God, we're going to lose all of our clients. They're going to yeah. go over and get the $89 dog spay. And they're not going to come to Riverview and get the $300 dog spay. Yeah. Well, that actually didn't happen because the people that want the $300 dog spay with all the bells and whistles aren't comfortable getting the the cheaper version, which doesn't come with the bells and whistles. Yeah. So if a client that wants that ends up at the shelter, they might also be a mismatch. So it's just like, think about, um, when you travel, what kind of hotel you're going to stay on. And sometimes this one's better. Sometimes that one's better. It's a personal decision. And I think veterinarians have this, um, this mentality that you have to be everything to everybody all the time. And it's exhausting. And it it actually doesn't even make sense when you say it out loud. Yeah. That's a losing battle for sure. Um, That hotel analogy is really good. Like I can't afford the Ritz Carlton, but then I don't expect the Red Roof Inn to be like that. (laughs) So I I did have a very sketchy stay at a Red Roof Inn one time. It was not a good experience. I probably won't pick that again, but (laughs) it might have just been that one. I don't know. But it makes total sense. And um, you're right. People need different things out of different experiences. And knowing your client is so important. And everybody in the practice can learn who that client is, right? So, you know, my last question to you, I really, I want to make sure that in these conversations, we have actionable things that anybody in the practice can do regardless of their role. And so if you're in a practice and you're not on the leadership team, but you want to start doing what you can to improve that client bonding, um, aside from, you know, what you've already said, what are some, what's maybe one other tip that you could give to, um, to veterinary teams to start stepping this up and learning who your client is and how they want to be related to? I think the best thing teams can do is forward book the best clients. And there was an initiative years ago to forward book every client. Forward booking, but, meaning like at the dentist, they try to schedule yeah. you for your next six month checkup or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But I, I'm not a fan of forward booking everybody. Because you're very busy, but I'm again I'm a fan of for booking the top clients that I enjoy working with. Because if you imagine it and you fast forward six months or a year and you come into work and your day is stacked with your top clients, like that's a beautiful thing. That and is. so trying to stack your day in the future and build the experience you want, it may not happen today, but if you do the work today, it will happen tomorrow. And so having that bigger vision is going to help you get to a place of, you know, what I I consider like the best part, the best time of my life in practice is working with those clients that are my people. And each person, each vet has their own definition of who they gel with. And so identifying who you like and taking really great care of them. That's a great recommendation. I've never heard anyone say that before. And that is so smart. Um, I, I'm just, I left practice, you know, a couple months ago and I have a little framed picture above my desk that my favorite, you know, one of some of my favorite clients gave me. And, uh, it just reminds me of how good that felt when I knew they were on the schedule and to have like five or six of them in a row or in one afternoon was just like 
nirvana. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah, imagine creating that for yourself and not just having it happen by accident. That's really, really smart. Well, and you say something like, Man, May 5th, 2023 is going to be amazing. Yep, yeah. <laughs> Keep you going through the days that maybe don't turn out so amazing. Yeah, That's right. so smart. Um, thank you so much for that advice and and for all of the wonderful things that you shared today because um, so many of them are things that we could all do. And that is so important. It's so difficult to feel like you want something to change, but you don't have the power to do it. And so we can all work on on a lot of those things that you mentioned. Um so thank you. Where can our listeners find you if they want to hear more from you? Um, you're our podcaster as well. So I want oh, to hear about yeah. that too. Uh, Dr. Caitlin DeWild and I have a podcast called I Vet So Hard. So we talk about technology, workflows, and everything in the middle with geeky veterinary stuff. So love it. if you're looking for that, come over there. You were our guest recently. We loved it. Yes. And Dr. Uh, Caitlin was a guest. She, she was episode two of this podcast. So if you haven't heard that one, go check it out. Awesome. And I'm, I'm also on, you know, the typical social places and my website is vet Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Stacy. This was so fun. And, um, if you, um, if you all want to reach Dr. Stacy, we'll put her, uh, information in the show notes today. And thanks so much to all of you for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks everybody. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Central Line, the AHA podcast. If you love what you hear, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.